Welcome to the Lapsus Lima podcast. Please support us by signing up for member-exclusive content at lapsuslima.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Lapsus Lima podcast. Today, we have something different. An interview with Sergio Porta, who is one of the leading forces behind the starting of a brand new architectural program in Naples, Italy. Some fantastic work that's going to be coming up in this year. For those of you studying architecture or pursuing a career in architecture, this is an extraordinary opportunity to go beyond what architecture currently offers and usually builds. Sergio is professor of urban design and director of the Urban Design Studies Unit at the University of Strathclyde in Glasgow, Scotland. Well, hello, Sergio. Welcome to the Lapsus Lima podcast. Hi, David. How are you? Quite well. It's very good to speak with you again. So, if you could, please tell us a, a little bit about yourself and about this really fantastic new program for architecture in Naples. What do you think a student could expect? Well, about myself, I am an architect by training and then developed into an urban designer after graduation and actually through an experience in Berkeley with Alan Jacobs and others and Peter Bosseman and others. The course is basically about building. It is a course in architecture, as weird as it might seem, it is about building. Pretty rare, actually, to have courses in architecture where students build with their own hands. It's not a unique feature of our course, but it is quite rare. In fact, we are kind of linking up to some previous experiences of a radical, so-called radical architectural education coming from the 60s and 70s onward, some of them are still on, and some new ones have come forward in the recent years. Actually, in the past 10, 15 years, we have seen more of that coming up. But nevertheless, it is still kind, kind of very rare. So yes, we are going to have students working in a amazing setting, which is a 17th century monastery, right in the core of the city of Naples. The monastery was expanded in time, becoming the marvelous place that we know today. And students and staff are going to spend one year there building things with their own hands. So that's the main thing. This is the backbone of the course. And then uh, you have to imagine three sort of three vertical lines, which are the lines of activity uh, of our course. The central one is the construction. Then you have two lines of activities uh, to the sides, and one is about seminars, and the other is about what we call self and space. And the three lines are actually integrated, especially in the second semester, in one single experience. That's our aim. And in the first semester, they are kind of treated slightly more separately. Even though, well, you know much better than me how much theory there is behind that, we don't want to make a course on theory. Actually, we want to provide, you know, like having stones in a stream of water. We want to uh, have experiences there. We want to bring our students through a series of experiences and then, you know, having the theory emerging from those experiences rather than the other way around. That, that is very important, is a, a core part of our approach to architecture. You have a very active course of building 
through which the theory and also kind of self-reflective study is going to both shape, enrich, and transform that process. Yes, that's correct. I still remember Chris Alexander talking to me about that and saying, well, unless you build, you don't really know what you're doing. You don't really know what you're talking about. Building is the fundamental core, the fundamental place where you can learn about uh, what you are doing and about yourself at the same moment. We have, as you know, the legacy of Chris Alexander is pretty much at the core of what we are doing. So the principles of the course are the 13 principles that you can find uh, on the website are heavily grounded on his thoughts and practice. And just for listeners who may not be completely familiar with Christopher Alexander's extensive built works and theoretical efforts, if you could describe what he was about. Well, shortly speaking, the main lesson that we can take from Chris Alexander is that, I believe, is that we want to build something which has life in. That's the main thing. We want to build something which has life in. All the rest is about understanding how to do that. And what does it mean having life in? It means that it changes with time. It means that it has an expression of our dreams and our desires as human beings and that those dreams and desires are not actually opinions or they are not just our idiosyncrasies, but they are something that we all share. Because obviously, you know, if you look at this problem from the point of view of, of urban morphology, things in the, in the, urban, in the urban scape uh, change at various paces. Some change very, very, very quickly. Some others are very permanent, but they do change. So uh, the importance of having life in means the importance of embracing this change and acknowledging that if things change, it means that they are alive. This element of changing is actually the way life shows up in everything, in every context, actually, not just in architecture. So if you have something living anywhere, you have something changing, because that is the way living organisms uh, deal with the environment around them by changing it. And so it sounds like this can be very apropos to the students having day-to-day -day building experiences, how is the building process going to be laid out over a year? They are pretty much building every day, um, almost every day, but definitely every week. And you are quite right. So the, the beauty of the monastery is not just a good place to spend a, a year in together. It is also, and maybe mainly, the living demonstration of what we are talking about, because it is a place of extreme beauty, right on the top of a hill, you know, overlooking the Gulf of Naples and the volcano and the, the dense city all around it. It's quite in the core of the city. It is separated by the city from the city by a, a, a tall wall. And you are right in the core of one of the densest areas in Europe where everything happens. You know, Naples is an extreme city. You have extreme beauty and extreme drama, extreme ugliness even, side by side, uh, accompanying each other. It's Living in Naples is really an extreme experience. And you are in, you know, right in the middle of this density and you open the door of the monastery and you are in a heaven. You have olive trees, you have vineyards, you have terraces. So you have a sort of separation there. And all of that developed in time. So it's really a demonstration of what you're talking about. So the beauty cannot be actually designed, it can only emerge in time. So we don't want to just stay there and enjoy the beauty. We want to enjoy the beauty and use it as a learning tool in the course. That is reflected in 
in many things that we are going to do, but basically in the construction line of action, we are going to build in the monastery, write in the monastery for the whole year in two different ways in the two semesters. The first semester, we are going to replicate parts of the monastery one-to-one in scale. And by that, I mean really replicate them. We are going to build them. We are going to build them throughout the whole process. We are going to take the materials, the, the stones in the caves. We are going to bring them to the place. We are going to, you know, to cut them appropriately and learn how to do that. We are going to, for example, trace the, the footprint of the wall on the ground. We might use flour to do that because, you know, it might be more sustainable than using anything else. So we are going to dig into the process that actually created physically, tangibly, uh, that piece of architecture and redo it. And that's for the first semester. And also we are going to cultivate land then, there, in the, in the same environment. Uh, we are going to do that by growing food or uh, plants in a garden. The idea is that, you know, by doing the two things at the same time, you are going to acknowledge that basically more than two separate things, they are actually the same thing. You are going to have the same experience. I found this aspect fascinating about the program, looking at architecture as an ecology, a system of related living components made actual by having the production of food in these spaces. All of those factors of buildings, environment and weather and human all going together about how that is appropriately adapted and shaped over time. The ecological approach, which is usually either very theoretical or very abstracted, um, very immediate and real. Well, yes, that's a that's a whole point. Um, Chris Alexander himself talked about the um, a, a deeper um, approach to ecology or to sustainability, if you like, more the world than what is normally meant with this term. Building up together elements or parts or components uh, which uh, by themselves have great environmental performances. Let's talk of a, for example, a window panel. Right? It's not really the point unless the whole cycle of the building is ecological itself. And that means that you can actually control it over time during the, you know, the long period of uh, the long cycle of the life of the building. Let's take this uh, window component. If you have a window component which is perfect in terms of uh, environmental energy performances, and then, but this is built, let's say, in Germany, miles away from the place where you actually use it, and then, you know, and then you have to change it, or you have to amend it, or you have to uh, maintain it. And in five years' time, ten years' time, maybe the industry which produced that is gone. So what do you do? Uh, you have to replace it. Is it ecological? Is it sustainable, really? So if you think about that, you switch immediately from an idea of uh, high technology as a, you know, has the way to sustainability to a, another path, which we call appropriate technology. And by appropriate technology, this adjective, appropriate, opens up an entirely different understanding of what ecology is in building, which involves, for example, the ability to maintain and, 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 and rebuild and change all the components of the buildings without going too far away from the place where the building was built in the first place. So understanding how that works is important for the entire ecology or the life cycle of the building and, by the way, the land around it. There's a story from uh, Stuart Brand, 
a fantastic book called How Buildings Learn that comes to mind here that uh, extending over time that uh, there was uh, in Oxford, there was an old hall that had been built sometime during the Tudor time. They had very thick oak beams and they needed to be replaced after, you know, 550 years. And they thought, well, where, where are we going to get oaks that are this size? The, you can't find oak trees like that anymore. And eventually, after months of dithering, they thought, well, maybe it's on university land. Well, can we do that? Sure, there's this old forest. And then they, they go to the forest and they see the caretaker of the forest. They said, well, we don't know if this is really going to be appropriate, but can we use some of these royally designated oaks? Forest caretaker got a big smile on his face and he said, well, sir, we were wondering when you'd come around asking for that. <laughs> yeah. and That's a good story. When the place, it was fantastic because when the hall was built, what they did was they made the beams thick enough that they'd be replaced in 500 years. And Brand, I think, concludes the moment by saying, yes, this is how you should design a civilization. Well, this is the ecology of the place. This is the ecology of the place. So, yeah, we want to build on that, on those ideas. and. Um, and actually, you know, I don't want to get into into uh, too much of an abstract um, argument here, but you know, it's it's much larger than architecture. Actually, we are living in times this sort of uh, mechanistic approach uh, to everything around us. The production of things uh, is one thing, but also to to the production of culture, to the production of feelings, has permeated everything we do. Again, far beyond the domain of architecture. But certainly architecture and, you know, and city building mirrors this shift, which actually happened not too much time ago in evolutionary terms. It's like the time of a snap. So we have been building cities for five to 7,000 years. And it is only 70, 70 years that we are building uh, our environment around ourselves in such a way. And just in a part of the world, which is the so-called advanced part of the world, but in the future, half, even more than half of uh, the new humanities, and we are talking about 2 billion people in the, in the next 30, 40 years, uh, are going to, to live in new parts of cities where the planning system is non-existent or very, very poor. Technology will be very, very poor. Economy will be, you know, uh, at the level of subsistence. That is where the sustainability of the planet will be. The, the battle for it will be won or lost. And this is happening in the next 30, 40 years. How do you approach that with BIM? You're not going to do that with BIM. So that's part of our responsibility to the planet and to our communities. And by the way, there's not just one thing that applies to the developing countries. It does apply to, to our countries as well, to this part of the world. And John Turner understood that very well in the 60s and 70s. And, you know, and this is the main part of his lesson. So we want to dig into that. In fact, we have people coming here, uh, part of our staff, talking about that Nabi Lamdi and Camillo Boano are, you know, are coming straight from that line of thinking and action. This is what we call international cooperation is actually something we want to, we want to contribute to by talking of building in a different way. There's so many places in the world Lima is one of them where the planning is either frozen due to factions or is really not going through. And to the extent that it is going through, it is at an extremely technocratic level. 
And so it sounds like what you're trying to do here on a, on a day-to-day level is to have this international expertise that you're bringing to bear where the planning involves life at a, a much richer level. The day-to-day practice of the students will involve the ability to feel and perceive that, to notice within themselves when they're being affected by a place. You know, obviously you can say to someone that there's a difference between Chartres and Walmart. You can tell that right away. And then there's all, there's all this subtlety between it, which you need to understand. That's correct. The course this year is a course in architecture, so we are dealing mostly to the uh, scale of the building and the experience of construction, which is an experience which is technical in the first place, but it is also human and deeply human, involving the body, involving the emotions, and involving the ability to um, grow our cognition, of, uh, so our understanding, you know, our, the way we visualize what we understand, the way, the way we put that in words, so through the activity of the body and the hands uh, and the legs, and the, and the chest, you know, and in our eyes, as much as the, the work of the brain. So we are dealing with this uh, by experiencing construction at the scale of, um, of the building and the place. And nevertheless, uh, we want to expand that uh, into various other domains, including the domain of the, uh, you know, of the evolution of the urban form. These two things uh, are not approachable in, in the same manner, because obviously the process of uh, production of a building and the process of production of a piece of city is, are different. They are different at surface. And, but you know, if you go deeper into that, there are connections. And the connection, again, is about mostly, I think, about the notion that change is important and time is important. So at the urban scale, it is more about an evolutionary understanding of the process, while at the project scale, if you like, so at the scale of the building, is more about uh, understanding the interaction between all those involved in the building process itself. But you know, deeper, even deeper than that, if you go deeper than that, you find out that time is crucial in both cases. So there is a common ground. So we are going to mostly work at the level of the interaction between all involved in the construction on the building site, right? in Naples. And then maybe in the future, we have the ambition of expanding this course into a two years master in architecture and even, you know, um, in the future going, things going well, we could create a new school uh, uh, over the entire educational process uh, in the future and around these principles and involving a practice of the, of the master planning and a practice of the urban evolution rather than just the construction. For the moment, this year, we are going to talk of construction only. And even within the time of one year, I know that there's a journey uh, over that length of time of changing process that the students go through, that the first phase is uh, learning to, to see, to feel, and then to do again, and then to make that, to make that circuit in, uh, in a clean way. In, in the way that you were describing, then there's a, there's a phase, uh, there's a next phase after that, isn't there? There is, uh, there is. So we are doing, um, we are building in, in both semesters. We talked a little bit briefly um, earlier 
of the first semester in the second semester. So the first semester uh, was more about replicating, building components at full scale in a laboratory, right at the core of the monastery. In the second semester, we are going to build in the monastery in a courtyard, which is called the Camellius uh, Courtyard. This is a fantastic space, uh, very beautiful. Um, at the same time, in the last 20 years, it has been kind of uh, left aside. So it needs recovery at this point in time. And we are going to conceive a project there, and we are going to build it. And this is real stuff, because it, it is a real building. It is a heavily listed building, so it is under the control of the National Authority for the conservation and preservation of listed building, monumental buildings. And that's hard work, because you have to convince the authority that what we are doing is good. And I can tell you, it's not easy. We are lucky because the person in charge of, of this authority is part of the faculty of the local university where we are going to, which, which offers the course. And therefore, we are going to talk every day with this guy. So it's going to be an inclusive process, but a real process. The university is going to fund it. The university is going to fund, to fund the materials and all the costs associated with the, with the construction. But the university is going to be a client. We, we will need to talk to the university. We need to talk to the authority for the National Authority of the Preservation of Buildings. And we are going to convince them, involving them in a process which makes sense for them. It does make a sense for us. That in of itself sounds like a great experience for the students that you get a chance to actually talk with a client. That's the whole point because um, it is a real experience. We are not going to we are not going to talk about the, the theory about that, but there is a theory. There is a theory, obviously. So we are not just exposing students to experiences randomly. We have carefully selected what kind of experiences to put in place. Uh, we are not going to tell the students why we have selected those experiences and not the millions of other experiences we could pick up from, you know, if there's any catalog. <laughs> Uh, we could we could choose from from among many, uh, but the theory is there. For example, in this case, you know, involving the authority in, in, into the construction means having the ability. So the, the target is to have an authorization process which does authorize the process rather than the product. So it, you would get ideally an authorization for a process, whatever the product of the process would. Would be. But this is the ideal scenario. We are going towards that aim, right? And why that is important is important because you don't want to take all the decisions on paper or on a computer to have all the authorization on that same drawing or file, and then having the construction phase like detach from the conception phase, and the people authorizing detach from the people you know, creating the building or generating the project and detach from those actually building it. And all these separations which break the generation of the building in isolated chunks which don't talk to each other other than formally, all that stuff doesn't really work, does it? So it creates shallow objects which, in fact, don't have life. In fact, you know, one of, one of the things that we are doing in the course is we are telling our students that they are not going to draw anything. And that's kind of harsh thing to tell to students in architecture. They're not going to draw anything. They're going to build stuff without having the drawings beforehand. 
that's not entirely true because we are actually using the drawings, but we're using the drawings in a different way. Rather than drawing to preconceive the building, we are first doing the building and then drawing it in order to build all the, you know, to realize all the documentation which is required to, for example, get the authorization in place or talk to other specialists like plumbers or electricians, which we, we might not be able to involve directly, personally, in the, in the process. Or just, just for the sake of documentation. Or they're going to use drawings while we make decisions in the building site. But we are not going to make drawings before stepping into the building site. This is not going to happen in Naples. And this is so, so important because it changes entirely the mindset, the emotional set of, uh, of the process. It makes it human. Yes, unfortunately right now we have a system where people are comfortable in a process creating things they don't like and uncomfortable in a process that would create things they would like. So you need to, um, this sounds like a really key aspect in flipping Yeah, let that. me stress one point regarding that. Um, now, the ability to talk to people, the ability to bring people along together or along the same path, the ability to understand and change your opinion and change your projects, the ideas that you had in mind, the ability to carve out of people the best they have and what we share, all those abilities requires an entirely different set of skills, which the most of which is not taught at all in conventional, in conventional mainstream architectural education. For example, you have to have an ability to compromise, but to compromise upward, not downward. You have to build an ability to understand the process. And that is difficult because you are, you are immersed in the same process you are called to understand. That requires you know, having your head down into what you're doing, but also raising your head every now and then to look at what you are doing from above, along with what everybody else is doing. So governing the process. It requires an ability to understand what are the different intelligences that different people bring to the place and to the process. We don't have the same intelligence, everybody. We have different intelligences. For example, one might be extremely good at, you know, at, I don't know, coordinating ideas, but not that good at explaining them. Or one could be extremely good at creating a good environment, which is necessary to share, you know, the feelings that we have, which is in turn necessary to uh, reach an agreement on decisions. One other can be extremely good at actually build things and resolve tiny little problems of a technical nature. And those people are not normally the same people because those skills are not normally the product of the same person. They require different stories, different personal stories, different personal abilities. So, and bringing together around the same project those different intelligences is a challenge. But this challenge is exactly the challenge that we face and we are going to face in the 21st century, they are called the 21st century skills. And they are not taught in conventional mainstream architecture. We are going to have seminars. And again, people coming from different contexts, different you know, paths of life and different backgrounds. And, but not all of them 
And again, this is not random. So there are we we want to we want to get into uh, certain particular areas of reflection and science. One is the science of complexity, understanding you know complexity, the complexity of systems, and that goes across the sciences of life and the physics or and others and the social sciences and all complex systems. And this is one thing. Now we, we talk of them as complex adaptive, adaptive systems, which is an ecological concept. But it's also practice. You know, when you build all together in the land, in the building site, that's an, that's an ecological system. That adapts in time and adaptivity and uncertainty is definitely part of the good of that. Embrace it. We have all to understand how to resist to our anxiety of controlling everything. And at the same time, embracing the diversity that comes in along the process by challenging us every time. And at the same time, you have to maintain a directional channel. And that's another skill to understand. So this is what we are going to talk with some guests coming from biology of evolution and system ecology and the physics of complex networks. And we are going to talk with them, with those guys coming over, hopefully in a different format so we are talking of uh, rather than having people coming over delivering a talk and going away we want them to work with our students in the building site in the first place for half a day maybe an entire day and then reflect on that from their own point of view and then just having a nice dinner together now that is called cenacolo which is an ancient Italian word, the root of which is cena, which means dinner. For example, for example, Leonardo da Vinci's uh, Cenacolo Vinciano, which is the Last Supper, is a cenacolo. It is a bunch of people around the table having dinner and having good time. And that's basically, in a nutshell, what teaching is. You have people, Louis Kahn said, well, teaching basically is about one person who doesn't know to be a teacher under the tree talking to other people who don't know to be students about his own experience and his own beliefs. So we go back to the, to the core of the teaching experience by having these people over dinner in the terraces of the monastery and basically they're going to dine together. And food is good in Naples, so that is worth doing. And uh, so that is the idea for the seminars. And then we have the other line of work, which is uh, self and space which again is practice. It is about moving around in space together. It is about uh, using dancing, using art, using um, sculptures and making sculptures and making little pieces of art and moving around together in a structured way to learn how to get closer to our feelings, basically, because feelings are important uh, for a number of reasons. Basically, feelings are our gateway to understanding the structures around us, including structure in the land and the structure within, within ourselves. And if we are not capable to understand how a place feels to us, and if we are not capable to rely on those feelings, how can we possibly create something which has a feeling and generates a feeling? That's not possible. And, you know, if you are an architect, that's a problem, isn't it? And I should point out to listeners that this is one of the things that makes me very enthused uh, about this. Part of my background is in the theater, 
performances as well as design using that as a tool for architecture. Uh, this is not an isolated example. Uh, uh, listeners might be aware of uh, the Bauhaus in its early days uh, had uh, Professor Gertrude uh, Grunov. They were doing uh, similar types of investigations, and I think the fact that that type of idea, they unfortunately stopped doing it, exactly. <laughs> uh, that, type of, that type of idea being reprised independently here uh, I, I think is a very, uh, very important, very good sign. You, I'm very happy that you quoted the, the Bauhaus because, um, you know, Bauhaus, as much as it was the beginning of a story which we might not agree entirely with, nevertheless, the Bauhaus, especially at the beginning, in the early years, was a laboratory of experience, which was of incredible interest. And part of that was about making things. And part of that was about, you know, working on the, your feelings, as much as, as um, on um, your ability, your technical abilities to build, to build stuff, to make things. And that's very, sounds familiar, doesn't it? It sounds Chris Alexander to some extent. Surprisingly, to some extent, uh, but not so much if you think deeply about it. Yes, the Bauhaus is important. Um, what happened after that, including in the later years of the Bauhaus, and obviously what happened after the Bauhaus was closed up, and uh, and, and, and modernity became, you know, the, the mainstream. Again, not in the early years, but especially after the Second World War, when industrialization became, you know, and if, you know, in the in, in the last period of industrialization, you had the the worst damage, if you if you like, to our cosmology, to our way of thinking, our relationships with planet Earth. So, urbanization was already declining. In statistical terms, and it, but it had never been that powerful in in human terms, and and that is tricky. Well, we're um, we're coming up uh, right about to uh, to the end of our time here. Um, is there anything else that uh, you wanted to add? Anything else that you thought we should cover, or anything you might want to say to prospective students? Well, there are a number of practicalities that might be of interest for uh, prospective students, including fees and uh, registration. That information is, is on the website, and uh, you can download the flyer, which contains uh, concise information about all those practicalities. Or, stroke end, you are very, very welcome to contact us in person. Again, through the website, there's a chat um, uh, tool that you can use. So you're very welcome. Um, show up and let's start talking. And the website again is buildingbeauty.net. Well, and the fees are incredibly affordable. They're uh, especially compared to, uh, to the US rates, correct? We have worked hard to keep the fees low in the presence of a course, which has costs higher than usual, because when you build stuff in the land for real, you have costs associated with that which normally you don't have, because you have to tutor all the time the students. You can't leave the students in the building site on their own. So, for example, while the standard rate of um, tutor the time over the complete time uh, the students invest is about one third of it, we are very close to a half of it. So a half of the time will be tutored completely. And that is mainly because we are going to build for real in the land. So, yes, we are... We have done our best. We're still working on scholarships programs. And actually, the, the, the fees that we have at the moment are 10,000 euros 
for European students and 16,300 euros for extra European students, which, yes, you are right, I take that for the US students is quite cheap. It is an entirely international, of course, an entirely international course taught in English, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Well, fantastic. You know, I'm I'm certainly uh, looking forward to it, and I've been very happy to be a, a part of working on this with you, and uh, thank you so much. Thank you to you. And thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, for listening. Uh, again, if you'd like to get in touch with us, head over to www.buildingbeauty.net. You can also find us on Facebook and also Twitter at underscore building beauty.